Live from beautiful downtown Progress City, USA, it's the 2023 Progress City Radio Hour Christmas Special, featuring special appearances by Stephen Vagnini and Fox Nolte. And now, your hosts for the evening, Jeff and Michael Crawford. down at the chuck wagon and he he took the snowmobile and just drove it straight into bay lake i mean it just doesn't make any sense oh hello there everyone come on in come on in welcome to the progress city christmas chalet i'm jeff crawford michael michael come on over they're here why why come in folks great to see you Welcome everyone to the Progress City Radio Hour, to our Christmas chalet, to our special Christmas episode. Uh, I believe this is our third uh, special Christmas episode, isn't it, Michael? I believe it is. Yes, we took last year off, but we're not doing that again. We we penciled it in for this year, and you know you can't miss the holiday season. You can't skip out on Christmas. So not, no, uh, we're we're back at it. We are Christmas people. And there's no war on Christmas here, I'll say. Uh, but how are your holidays going so far, Michael? Oh, they're going lovely. I'm I'm back in my ancestral home. Everything is very lovely decorated here, as you see. And uh, it was just wonderful. Family and friends and fun. Food, folks, and fun. <laughs> yes. Yep. As someone once said. We take How em. about you? Uh, good. I'm excited that this year, you know, marks the first year I can have candles in the windows at my house. Yeah. Uh, long overdue. Uh, that just makes everything happy and bright. Lots of, uh, lots of excitement here at the house with my children. And, you know, that bleeds over to the parents. I, I tell you this, you know, this main street, I have to just give it up for the main street magic kingdom christmas loop it's just kind of mm, yes. grown out to such degree that it just take took over my whole you know all the albums that they take from have just become all my christmas listening it's just excellent excellent pull it up on youtube listener if you haven't great holiday cheer and we use uh we use a lot of those songs for the uh for the radio hour christmas special michael absolutely uh, that is really from a mighty Jack Wagner acorn does a mighty oak grow mm-hmm. of, of music. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it's some some of our favorite tracks and it, it really is a great listening experience, that Main Street Christmas loop. It puts you right in the mood, puts you right, transports you right to Main Street there. And uh, oh, it's a great listen for sure. Well, you know, you mentioned you've you've you have a whole new house to decorate this year. You've you've had to recalculate your decoration strategy. So, uh, any any new features this year? You mentioned the candles in the window. I mean, the candles are the real thing. We're good. We have some garland on the uh, stairs, but but lots of d- ongoing discussions. So uh, it's it's a work in progress. Well, I'm sure your uh, your helper elves have plenty of suggestions. They have. They are. They're unending in their suggestions, and and actually, they have come up with a great idea of putting uh, large colored lights 
around our garage door next year, which I think is a great idea. So I, festive. You know, everyone can collaborate here at the radio hour and all its satellite locations. But yeah, it's it's been another another big year in the books. And uh, you know, you're busy working in the secret lab. <laughs> Disney's <laughs> secret lab. That's right. Just me and Aladar working away. <laughs> and uh yeah, we're always cooking up some fun progress city stuff as well. It's uh yeah, 2023. It just feels like we it just started to me. This year has gone by extremely quickly. It has flown by. It really has. It spooks me out. Time seems to be accelerating. Of course, everybody always says, you know, the older you get, the faster things seem to go. But my golly, this year went by fast. And you know, we've had a lot of fun doing the show. We've had a lot of fun doing our monthly live streams for our Patreon friends. I think we've uncovered a lot of fun material for those, for sure. And, you know, it just seems one after the other. The months have flown away there. It's true. Yes. And uh, so many uh, rocks out there in the proverbial field left to uncover, Michael. Oh, absolutely. 24. There's more in 24. We've we've done a lot of talking about what's going to be coming up next in the new year. And I think... uh, We'll have some fun stuff for people to enjoy. So that's great. It's it's exciting to be when we kind of get on a roll doing this. Yes. Well, it's been a big year for us. It's been a big year for Disney in general. It was the 100th anniversary of the Disney Company, which is pretty wild to think about. Uh, it's something we're going to talk about a lot in the months ahead. You know, this is a year-long celebration, as are all good Disney celebrations. So... There's so much to be said when you consider 100 years of history. Yes, yes. There's so much, and and it's interesting that, you know, there's a kind of clear demarcation between the kind of first 50 years and the second 50 years. It's kind of, uh, it's just an interesting time uh, to be studying Disney history with how far back some of it is and... Yeah, I mean a lot of the stuff we deal with on episode to episode. You know, we don't we don't do a lot of the modern stuff because we're historians. But yeah, it's just a time to take some perspective, and some of it seems very far away at this point. <laughs> it really does. It's shocking things things that seemed far away when we were kids that weren't really that far away. Right, right. I think we talked about uh, when we talked about the 1986 Christmas special that we watched so much. That was for the 15 years of Walt Disney World ceremony. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, my gosh, that was a long time ago when Disney World opened. That was in the 70s. That was 1971. But man, 15 years, that goes by pretty quick now. That's, yes, very true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there have been a couple of major events this year. Uh, there was a Destination D23 fan event. Uh, there was Retro Magic at the start of October, and that was quite a time. Indeed, yes. Uh, I just hate I missed it, but uh, yeah, I'm excited that the the videos are starting to come out from that. I encourage people to watch those as they come on YouTube. Those guys do such a great job, and uh, it was fun to be tangentially involved. You were very involved, so uh, lots of fun there. It was a lot of fun, and as you say, over the last 
little bit here, they've started posting their videos on YouTube. So if you miss the event, you can catch up on the presentations. They're all really fascinating. A lot of interesting people, a lot of great stories, a lot of laughs. We love the laughs here. I love the laugh. laugh. Uh, so, so, so check that out. That's on their YouTube channel. I, I also want to get in another plug uh, for a very special seasonal addition to Disney Plus this year. This one took me by surprise. The documentary Christmas with Walt Disney. Have you seen this yet? I haven't. I really need to watch it because I've been very excited. I, I also saw it pop up and I was like, what is this? Yeah, very exciting. It was produced by the Walt Disney Family Museum and it was something they showed seasonally there. Uh, it has made its way to Disney Plus. I was so happy to see it, and everyone should check it out. Uh, you know, we want to encourage them to carry more sort of Walt-related content, obviously, to carry more documentary content. But it's just a fun special. It's told through the words of Diane Disney Miller, and talks about sort of her or childhood Christmas experiences with Walt Disney, but also features a ton of clips of Disney films from his lifetime, uh, wintry things and Christmas things. And it's, it's just a, a, a nice, fun, short little film. I believe, I believe produced by Don Hahn and uh, yeah, everybody should check it out. It's, it's a good way to spend, spend a half an hour or so in the evening. So. Lovely. Yeah, it's lovely. I also want to plug this. I'm getting all my plugs out of the way early. The other podcast on which we appear, the Medfield College Film Society, uh, we have a Christmas episode that uh, will be out uh, in time for Christmas this year, discussing the obscure 1985 Disney <laughs> film, One Magic Christmas. And uh, I don't usually plug podcasts back and forth, but I had to bring it up here because I had a lot of fun recording this episode. This movie is something else. Yeah, I had seen that movie on Disney Plus for quite a long time and being like, I should do that. And of course, there was that Disney News from the 80s uh, that was kind of kind of plugging this. And boy, uh, yeah, really took us by surprise with the uh, <laughs> subject matter and plot twists. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think you should. You should check that out too. And check it uh, out. you know, uh, did the Apple Dumpling Gang not too far back? So uh, I know that's a, that. that's a Progress City classic for sure. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, One Magic Christmas I'd never seen, and I laugh every time I think about it now. And we've had some fun discussions on uh, the Discord channel for our Patreon backers about about this. Some people who saw it at the time, some people who've seen it since felt profoundly <laughs> burned by the experience. So uh, yeah, check that out. It's I hope it'll be a fun listen. It's it's the most fun I've had recording an episode since Old Yeller, which says probably <laughs> more about me than about anything else. That's true. That's true. But, but yeah, it's a good time. So it's been a fun year here, and uh, we hope everybody, you know, kick back, enjoy some mulled wine, some mulling spices, and uh, enjoy the festival. Enjoy the party. Oh, I gotta go fix this fondue fountain. I'll be right back. But wait, I think I hear something. I think our first special guest has arrived. It's archivist, historian, and author Stephen Vagnini. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, Michael. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Oh, wonderful. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Come on in. 
I brought along my omelette superb avec jambon to share. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. That's uh, come on in, make yourself at home. Uh, We've got a vast assortment of nogs and candied fruits. Oh, you haven't got nogs, so excellent. Absolutely. It's great to see you here. It's it's been a crazy year, hasn't it? It has, and I have to tell you, this is my first time in progress city and i am totally amazed at what i'm seeing this is so cool thank you for having me oh well it really shows out at christmas you know the they put the little you know popcorn lights on the people movers going over there and it's just it's a nice place to be at this time of year i love it much. the aluminum trees exactly yes gotta have the aluminum tree with the little uh color discs lights shining upon it so it's absolutely perfect and as you said the omelette superb avec jambon that the taste of the holidays that's right wouldn't have it any other way yeah well we obviously love christmas here in progress city do you have any favorite christmas traditions you know the candlelight processional is our favorite christmas tradition at the disney park so that lines up here um, and that goes back to, you know, probably the 1990s when it started over at Epcot and, you know, the music of Derek Johnson and that translating into the America Gardens Theater, you know, it's, it's a truly magical experience. It's really wonderful. It's a, I always say that the candlelight processional is a little bit of Disneyland dropped right into Epcot. It's, uh, it's got that, it still has that hometown feel with the orchestra and everything. It's, it's just like putting a little main street into world showcase. I love it. Absolutely. My, my wife and I have had the opportunity to sing at both. So we've done the the Epcot, of course, version and the Disneyland version and very different experiences. Yes. But you know, the heart of it is so is, is the same, of course. It's true. I, I love about Disneyland. Obviously, we grew up with the Walt Disney World version and old enough to have seen it when it was at the Magic Kingdom, actually. And, you know, I was watching the other night, I've got the old Christmas at Walt Disney World souvenir tape that they used to sell many 30 years ago or something like that. The Magic of Christmas at Walt Disney World. We were watching that. And they said, you know, for two nights uh, during the holidays, the magical candlelight processional. And I thought, my goodness, two nights. That would be that would be packed if they did if they did it like that. anymore. Yeah. You've got to spread it out. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. And that's a great souvenir tape, by the way. So many memories in there. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorites is the Country Bear Christmas special, which I remember was covered yes. in that as well. Such oh, yes. Holiday traditions back in the day. And those Bill Justice reindeer dancing around. <laughs> yes. Gotta love those guys. Uh, well, you know, this has been a busy couple of years for you. Uh, first, for Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary, you co-authored a portrait of Walt Disney World, 50 years of the most magical place on earth. And now uh, they've released the sixth edition of Disney A to Z, the official encyclopedia. How has that been for you? It's got to be exciting. So exciting. So much crammed into a few years. First 50 years of Walt Disney World. That that was quite a treat. You know, my colleagues, Kevin Kern, Tim O'Day, and I had a fantastic time and really a challenge trying to figure out how do you cram 50 years of mm. memories that all of us, of course, love um, into one single coffee table book. And how do you do that with fresh voices? How do you do that with fresh imagery and uh, unique stories? Um, and right after that, you know, it was, all right, time to update Disney A to Z, the official encyclopedia, which, of course, 
is one of Dave Smith's greatest legacies. And, you know, we all know Dave Smith as the founder of the Walt Disney Archives, um, starting in 1970, you know, named a Disney legend in 2007. And back in the 1990s, you know, he was tasked with creating the first and the official encyclopedia for all things Disney. If you think of Disney's many wondrous worlds, and you think of the many characters and personalities and songs and park attractions and more, you know, all of that to exist in one single book, you know, what an what a amazing challenge that must have been back in the 1990s with the first edition. And here we are, we're on edition six, what we call the centennial edition. And to see this version out in stores now um, is totally bewildering. So many emotions that go into it, especially because this is Dave's legacy and we are doing our best and our and and feel we 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 did our best to represent that in this all new edition. So I'm excited to chat with you about that. And um, I think there's some uh, material in here, some new information that um, both of you especially will be fans of. One thing I wanted to say before we go fully into Disney A to Z is how much I do appreciate the Disney World specific history uh, in the, the 50 years book. I mean, that uh, since the world began, the 25th book was such a big deal for us. And it was so rare at that point in time to have something just about Disney World history, which is, you know, kind of our home base where we first kind of really got into, you know, Disney history was the kind of Beard Epcot book and the 25th anniversary book. And this uh, 50th anniversary book just goes right in with, with that. So uh, thank you for, you know, making that such a priority. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. And yes, you know, our hearts go right back to Since the World Began, Jeff Curdy's book, Heaven especially. I know this is a memory for him, him as well, as well as for me, you know, seeing that book on store shelves back in the mid-90s and for the first time seeing this then complete history of Walt Disney World and such beautiful imagery and storytelling, you know, that was sort of, you know, saved as a core memory that now, 25 years later, we were able to uh, update essentially that story and 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 really find a way to tell it in a whole new light. What we were excited about with the 50th book was the ability to feature so many voices of the people who helped make Walt Disney World, you know, a, a reality. Going back to Bob Foster, who we interviewed at length, Bob being the Disney legend who scouted and helped acquire all the acreage for the property, all the way to the creative uh, leaders and Imagineers of today. Um, so I think we feature somewhere around 100 unique voices in the book. And one of my favorite parts, and my uh, my co-authors I think would agree, is incidentally the end notes um, that you'll find um, at, the, at the back of the book. This is where we crammed in a lot of information that we couldn't fit it, fit all, all these amazing stories and a lot of the nuance and detail in the main body text, right? You want mm -hmm. to make sure these spreads are as beautiful as possible, that we feature large imagery. So many of the stories have to go by the wayside, but we squeezed a lot of those little rare details in the end notes. And these include a lot of fascinating facts that we found in the archives and in memos and correspondence files that exist in boxes that, you know, we're not sure the last time they were open. So not sure if you've been able to check the end notes yet, but there's quite a bit of rarely heard history packed in there. That's wonderful. And that's one thing I'm, I'm so glad that you do. And the team, the people you work with, uh, so important in getting down these living histories. You mentioned Bob Foster, but I'm sure you've spoken to other people. Obviously, we've spoken to people for the podcast. It's so valuable getting these stories from people, isn't it? It absolutely is. 
if you have the opportunity to to speak to someone about their creation, you are able to get a firsthand account of what actually happened. You know, it's amazing. The Walt Disney Company has now had more years without Walt Disney than it had with Walt. So as you think about that and and really what that means, you know, we have to make sure that we capture the stories of the story creators. And the archives has an excellent oral history collection with Dave Smith starting that, you know, interviewing folks like Roy, uh, folks like Abiworks, you know, many of the nine old men. And so we have those firsthand accounts and we can always know what the accurate stories are, you know, with as many urban legends and uh, other stories that may be out there, you know, it's important that we always go back to that primary source material and, and what better way to do it than these interviews, such as the ones that you both do through the Progress City Radio Hour. Um, so thank you for doing that as well and helping ensure that uh, these stories are preserved and that these stories are, you know, recorded in the first place, because that's re really how it all starts is taking the time and the effort to recognize the importance of that. You know, it's, it's, so fortuitous and i'm so thankful that dave smith came along when he did you know it was right around the time that walt was going away he's passed away you know and he just caught so much vital stuff at a time where who knows what could have happened to it and you know you have i don't know 15 more years kind of with with Walt's people in charge and then it gets refreshed to Eisner Wells and then gets refreshed again and again. But, you know, throughout those formative decades transitioning after Walt, uh, he was there to kind of collect and collect those stories and media and papers and, and all of it. And it's just, uh, we're just very fortunate to have that timing, I think. Absolutely. You know, Walt, having passed away in December of 1966, you know, that's around the time that Dave uh, really began his association with the company and began proposing that there be an archive. And, you know, we lost Roy in 1971, um, which was a little over a year after the archives was founded. And of course, it was founded with Roy's blessing. And so Dave did have access um, to Roy. You know, they they certainly became good friends. Um, and they've also had access to uh, many of the original folks at the studio. So, you know, you had a question about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, how it was produced, you could walk right down the hall and ask the question. So to be able to begin to capture the company's history at that time was critical. And, and going back to the Disney parks for a moment, it was also good timing. Um, because if you think about the preservation of parks history, to go back and collect what, 15 years worth of Disneyland was a little bit of a challenge, right? The park had opened in 1955. The historical material lived in many different places around the company, certainly at Disneyland and different departments. Um, but what was fortuitous is that Walt Disney World was very much under development when the archives was founded. And so Dave was able to meet with Joe Potter and to help establish strong relationships with the on-site teams in Florida to begin saving one of everything that was being produced for Florida in terms mm -hmm. of ephemera in terms of communications, in terms of uh, name tags, right? So there is a, an exhaustive Walt Disney World collection and a great merchandise sampling, if you will, thanks to Dave's foresight to begin capturing that history as it was being created uh, starting in 1970. It's just great timing. And when you hear, you know, when, when Dave was alive and would tell stories about how, how he found things when he arrived at the company, uh, you think of 
how animation cells being stored in file cabinets in that tunnel to the ink and paint building. And didn't he find the um, Mary Poppins snow globe in like a janitor's closet or something like that? Correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong. But just snatching these things from the jaws of death, basically. <laughs> yes, it was. The Mary Poppins snow globe was found in the head janitor's office in the basement of the animation building. He found it in the trash, thought it looked nice, so he saved it. Thank goodness he did. Um, yeah. Dave will spot it later. Uh, Tony Baxter actually shared the story once that he mentioned to Dave, oh, you know, this is something that you should try to find because it's it's the symbol of the film. Um, and Dave never told me that side of it. T Tony did. And um, so that's an interesting connection as well, that he had some influence in Dave keeping an eye out for this piece, which <laughs> fortuitously he found. Another amazing piece he he saved, you know, ha having the master key to the studio, one of the only people who could have access to basements and storage locations, you know, also under, underneath the animation building at the time was uh, the shredder. <laughs> and Dave found there a document and a series of documents that had a very familiar style of writing on them. In fact, it was a red grease pencil. And on the document, it read, you know, here you leave the world of today behind and enter the worlds of, what is it, yesterday, um, tomorrow, and fantasy. Mm -hmm. and, um, there are some handwritten notes on that that were Waltz, and these were the files of Dick Irvine. And wow. Dave was able to stop those from oh being destroyed. Oh. <laughs> um, and, and essentially was able to save, you know, the history of Disneyland. So we are so grateful to him for obviously helping to propose to establish um, and then to to shepherd the archives um, into becoming what was the first archive for a major entertainment company, um, but then to become a, a model of corporate archives in the world that continues to grow. And under the current leadership of Becky Klein, our, our, mm -hmm. our famous leader who took over for Dave in 2010, you know, the department has grown even more in terms of collecting dimensional items. We're talking tens of thousands of dimensional objects, props, costumes, ride vehicles, all the way to amazing efforts with digitization. Um, some exciting projects underway there as well. So uh, there is no shortage of interest and need for Disney history, whether we think about you know the fans out there, but even internally as a company, try to think of an organization that looks back to its past more than Disney does, right? You know, a film like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs from 1937, you know, we're continuing to create new merchandise, park entertainment. You know, there's a live action film on the horizon, um, an adaptation. So we are constantly looking to our legacy. And so the need for the archives is really now more important than ever. Agreed. And and things like digitization, it's so exciting to think about where that may lead at some point. Uh, for the historian to make these things accessible because you mentioned before when speaking about the 50th anniversary book for Walt Disney World, looking for new images. And I think that's something we all share a passion for. I know you and I worked on some things for Destination D events in the past and the the urge to, you know, to find something people haven't seen before because for you know folks like us who are fans, we've seen a lot. And it's, it's always, you always, when you're presenting information, you really do want to find something that folks haven't seen before. So it's really great that the team at the archives is finally getting a chance to really dig in and explore all these things that have been saved over the years and to unearth who knows what treasures. Absolutely. You know, one of the ones that comes to mind, which we included in the Walt Disney World coffee table book, you know, you'll find 
toward the end of our chapter about the development of Walt Disney World, which is, I believe, chapter two, we feature, of course, Grand Dedication Weekend for Walt Disney World. And there is a image of an American flag, uh, which, which flew over Town Square on Dedication Day, October 25th, 1971. And there's an interesting history. Have you, have you heard this, what the history of that no. flag? So, no. so this is a, a pretty fascinating story. Kevin and I were doing some research to actually realize what this flag was, because that flag is in the archives today. And incidentally, let's go back to October 1st, 1971, which was the opening day for Walt Disney World. That flag was actually flying over the White House. And the Nixon administration actually had it delivered to Walt Disney World to then fly on Grand Dedication Day on October 25th. And it was received by Roy. And unfortunately, President Nixon couldn't be at the grand opening. Um, however, that was a flag that flew over Town Square. It was then packed and sent to the archives and stored for many decades. And we were able to have it photographed. Um, Kevin actually uh, went to one of our facilities to, to find it, to, to have it photographed, and then actually brought back to Walt Disney World for the 50th anniversary, where it was displayed in the Hall of Presidents Rotunda, um, oh. with correspondence between Roy O. Disney, as well as President Nixon. Um, so it made a journey home back to Florida, um, having flown over the White House on 10-1, over Town Square on 10-25, and then back to Magic Kingdom on 10-1-2021. And it was actually Becky who helped uh, install that on site that day. So quite a history of this piece in the archives that, again, we really hadn't explored that story before, told that story before as a company. And um, shedding a little bit of light on it hopefully has piqued some interest, especially from those who have an interest in Americana um, and general Walt Disney World history as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fascinating story. I'd never heard that. Uh, I had not until... I was an adult, realized that Nixon was supposed to be there. In fact, they prepared remarks, didn't they? He he had prepared remarks already written to deliver at the opening, but was unable to attend. It's very poetic that the flag was able to make it at least, and that we were able to celebrate that story so many years later. Yeah, that's lovely. Well, gosh, with you know, you said that Becky Becky was there for that, and I know the archives crew is traveling all over the place uh, lately. There's been this exhibition that's been touring as well. That's for the right. 100th. Yeah, Disney 100, the exhibition. This is by far the most elaborate project uh, in terms of an exhibition that the archives has undertaken. We did open earlier this year in advance of the 100th anniversary, opening initially at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. It is a 15,000 square foot experience filled with 10 galleries containing some 250 historical items. This includes artwork, it includes props, memorabilia, ride vehicles. We include hundreds of pieces of media. Um, and all of it is based not necessarily on the company's history in, in a timeline form, but rather we've organized the story of the company through Walt Disney's philosophies. So, what we are able to do then is to feature all eras of Disney storytelling in these galleries that showcase not only Walt's philosophies, but also how the company has helped to further them over the years. So we have galleries that are based on the importance of character animation, on, of course, our parks and resorts, on the magic of sound and music, mm -hmm. um, certainly on the spirit of, of adventure and discovery and of innovation. 
Um, so hopefully this is a fresh way for our guests to experience 100 years of Disney. Um, and certainly uh, for folks to hopefully learn some material and some stories they haven't heard of or seen before through interactive displays and um, some uh, uniquely presented elements. So, you know, what we like to say is maybe you've seen some of these objects and artifacts before, but you've never seen it like this before. So when you see the Mary Poppins snow globe that we talked about a few moments ago, uh, you see the birds, you know, soaring in it and around it with St. Paul's as the setting. It's a, a really neat way to present that artifact. One of my other favorite areas in the exhibition um, is over in the sound and music gallery. We feature many of, of course, Disney legend, Jimmy McDonald's original Foley devices. These are the props used to create sound effects for many of our shorts, feature mm -hmm. films, park attractions. And you actually see Tinkerbell enter the room and with a wave of her wand, illuminate the chimes that help to create the Tinkerbell sound for the 1953 film, Peter oh, Pan. Wow. Um, so again, just unique and fun ways to add a little bit of magic um, to help bring many of these pieces to life for our guests. So we're very thrilled about it. And uh, we're planning to tour it for several years. Uh, currently, um, it is over in Chicago, which we, we opened at a little bit earlier um, this autumn, and as well as in London. So more dates, more details to come at Disney100Exhibit.com. Wonderful. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, well, you know, we were talking about Dave and how he originated the the A to Z. He put put together this document, and I, as from what you said, I can't imagine starting with a blank page on that. And you know, where do you even begin? But for you, you've stepped in the shoes of a literal Disney legend. How how did you become the caretaker of A to Z? Well, this this is first of all an honor, right? This is D Dave Smith, obviously a giant when it comes to the world of Disney. For me, you know, my mentor at Disney, a very close friend, you know, losing Dave in 2019, you know, what what a tremendous loss to the Disney community and to so many of us personally. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the question was, you know, what will become of Disney A to Z? Because we consider this one of Dave's greatest legacies, of course, beyond the archives. Now, I had, I had the privilege of working closely with Dave on the two prior editions of the book. So, Again, this is edition six that's newly released. The fourth and fifth editions released in 2015 and 2016. As you might know, the 2015 one was a Sam's Club exclusive, so it's a little bit rarer, but you could still uh, find it. Yes. D Dave, of course, was no longer with the company full-time. He had retired in 2010, but was still consulting. But the news of the day wasn't reaching his desk like it used to. And so he had asked, since I was on the archive staff, if I would uh, be interested in helping him keep it up to date for those two editions back back then, but also essentially helping to read the book cover to cover in terms of just proofing and um, and digging in to make sure that we had all the updates that were needed. Now, that was a crash course in Disney A to Z. <laughs> that was an education to really get to understand the book itself, right? I mean, I, I've owned this book since 1996, but mm -hmm. you know I've always used it as a reference source and never really thought about how is this put together. But working with Dave on those um, other two editions gave me a chance to understand his criteria, what topics deserve entries, what warrants an update in the book, uh, what is not included in the book. That's just as important. We have a finite page count. So Dave has a very, a very specific criteria for that. And then how are the entries written? You know, the entries for TV shows are written differently than for the films, than for the parks. And they're structured in certain ways and feature very specific information. So working on those two editions um, really prepared me for this. And 
it was around the time of that 2016 uh, fifth edition um, that uh, Dave had asked if I would be interested in keeping this book up, um, which floored me. I thought, you know, I said, Dave, you have many more editions coming your way that mm-hmm. we want you to do. And and the truth is, Dave did keep the book up to date um, beyond the fifth edition because he was always working on the online supplement. So he never, you know, stopped working on the book as new park attractions opened or members of the board of directors were named or, you know, we had major talent in our films. Dave would be updating this constantly. So, you know, we are very blessed that our friends at Disney Editions, including Wendy Lefcon, editorial director, senior editor Jen Eastwood, are insistent that this book always be available, which how wonderful is that to have these amazing folks at Disney Editions championing Disney A to Z, Wendy having been involved with the book since day one back in 1996, Jen having been senior editor for many of these editions, agreeing that there should be a sixth edition and that it should be released around the time of the 100th anniversary of the company. Our senior editor for this book was Jim Fanning, who worked very closely to um, help ensure that everything was moving along. Our managing editor, Monica Vasquez, our designer, Lindsay Broderick, and everyone at Disney Editions and Disney Publishing. Just a huge thanks to them for helping make this book possible. So as we were talking about earlier, right after the Walt Disney World 50th book, it was, okay, let's really get this book in shape. You know, we had taken all of the new entries and all the corrections and edits that Dave had put together after the fifth edition, working toward what would be this edition. I had been working on this book on the side in the meantime. At the time, I was with Walt Disney Imagineering, not the archive. So this really was a side project after hours on weekends at nights. <laughs> and so this was really an honor to to bring the book up to date and to incorporate what is it? 6,500 updates uh, to the book just since 2016. In addition to that, 2,000 entirely new entries. Again, working very hard to make sure that we made the decisions that we made, that we made the edits and the writing as as close to what Dave would have wanted. That's wonderful. And, you know, just the number of updates that you mentioned. <laughs> this is This is what people need to understand about the sixth edition. This is a major expansion of of A to Z. It really is. And I mean, it stands to reason. I One thing I wondered about when I found out you were doing this is during the period that you've been working on it, Disney has expanded so much. It's, it's expanded with Marvel, Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox. Any one of those could fill multiple encyclopedias of their own. So how do you decide what to cover specifically in A to Z? Yes, that's a great question. 2019 did see both Disney Plus, plus that major acquisition that you just mentioned. You know, it really all goes back, you know, to Dave's criteria and very much following how we feel he would have approached it using the past as precedent, right? So we've done major acquisitions before, right? You could think about Miramax, you could think about Pixar and Lucasfilm and Marvel. And so how did Dave handle those acquisitions? For Disney Plus, this is very unique because you you could almost categorize it as television, thinking about, you know, Emmy nominations, for example. At at the same time, you have feature films on Disney Plus that are films from the Walt Disney Studios. Uh, You have films that were initially planned for theaters that 
were instead initially released on Disney Plus. So how do you handle all that? So that was the the subject of much debate and a lot of time going into how do we carefully integrate all this into the book in a way that makes sense for the book, but ultimately in a way that uh, is accurate and serves the mission of the book, which is to provide reference information to any researcher who wants to quickly look up important information about all Disney subjects. Um, so you will find entries for every original Disney Plus series and show in here. You will find every major film on Disney Plus added to our, our feature film list, um, noted as streaming. As for 21st Century, you will find entries on all the major companies that were acquired as part of that, as well as a complete list of all the major feature films uh, from 20th Century Studios, from Searchlight, um, as well as the the former entities that they were known as. Um, so this is a a major expansion of the book. But one thing I'd like to to sort of add on to that is we didn't just expand on what was new in the company. And certainly there's a lot that's new. Park attractions, merchandise shops, um, personnel in the company, key actors, key talent. But this gave us an opportunity as well to go back and augment and expand on many existing entries in preparation for our 100th anniversary. So we were able to go in, thanks to our, our increased page count, and do things like, for the first time, add plot descriptions for all the Oswald the Lucky Rabbit shorts. We, we mm -hmm. didn't have them before. Uh, augment some of the bios of our Disney legends. You know, check out her Ryman's entry. We have more information on Herbie now than we did before. But also create new entries on historical subjects. So you'll see not only you know, an expanded Tournament of Roses entry that goes beyond just Walt's participation as Grand Marshal of the Rose Parade in 1966, but you'll find a sum summary of all of the floats that Disney has been involved with when it comes to the parade. So you'll find characters from Hatbox Ghost to Big Al, if you're a Parks fan, um, all the way to a new entry on Dole Whip, because many wonder, well, what is the history of Dole Whip um, in our parks? Um, that's a subject of much debate, but we have an entry now with some answers. And if you're an Epcot fan, as I know, as I know both of you are, you know, entries from Voices of Liberty to Epcot Daredevil Circus to an entry all about the Epcot festivals and when each of those began. You know, these are topics that, you know, many guests, many aficionados, many researchers could benefit from when it comes to their research. And so we're excited to offer more Disney facts than ever before, not just on what's new, and there is so much that's new, uh, but on so much that was that we're able to expand on as well. Again, just perfect timing for the centennial. That's why I like to call it the centennial edition of the book. Again, very closely following the cadence that Dave set for Disney A to Z. That's great. And I, I absolutely love that you underlined the fact of these you know, thousands of new entries. It isn't just new Disney Plus information, as valuable as that is. You really have, and this is what wowed me, and I was relating this to Jeff before we got on air. I I have found so many things. This has coincided with me doing a lot of uh, historical writing about about Epcot, uh, the release of this book. And I've been writing up, I guess you could say summaries of the World Showcase Pavilions of little histories of the World Showcase Pavilions. And there is a lot of information about out there uh, about shops and when they opened, when they closed, you can't find it anywhere. It's nowhere on the internet. Then along comes the centennial edition of A to Z <laughs> and you have gone through and oh my goodness, 
Uh, you have all the old shops from the Lake Buena Vista marketplace. There was nothing I could think of to try and stump the book that I could stump the book with. And that's saying something. Wow. Wow. That is saying something. I am impressed to hear that. Um, but no, it's, I think that is very much continuing what Dave said. And it's interesting because we go back to like the fourth and fifth editions, like I was talking about, Dave would always, you know, think of something that he hadn't included before. You know, we hadn't included entries on, I think it was Toy Story Land for maybe Hong Kong or some of the shops for uh, our international parks. And Dave said, oh, we should really go back and make sure that we add in many of the shops from say Disneyland Paris. And they'd never been in the book, some of these shops. And so again, this was a chance to go in and say, well, you know, now now that we've updated the book, we've had everything that's new, what is it that we're missing? We went back to 1950s Disneyland and added shops that were never in the book. 1970s Disneyland, all the way to Alani. We never featured individual entries for restaurants and shops at Alani or, or specific venues. All that's there now, um, very much as Dave would have wanted and as Dave did. You mentioned Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village. I'll tell you, many thanks to the archives research team. I want to throw out names like Nicole Carroll, Julia Vargas, Francesca Scrimger, Matt Murek, Madeline Moskowitz, and of course, Ed Ovalle, who's been so helpful in his additions to this book. Another person we want to thank is Michael Buckoff, who oversees our photo library, who oversees the research team at the archives, and is so instrumental and has been so instrumental in so many editions of this book, having sourced many of the images that you'll find. And um, interestingly, in this new edition, we uh, treat the images a little bit differently. Before, you would see them peppered throughout the book. But as a way to include more entries, informational text, um, the decision was made to actually change this a little bit. And I actually prefer this new version where you open up to your, you know, the next chapter, your uh, letter A, B, or C, uh, and you will find a collage of various images representing different aspects of Disney history altogether. So, you know, if you go to G, you have... The Ghost of Molly McGee from Disney Channel, right next to Gus, the football kicking mule. Um, <laughs> it's a great way to show, you know, Disney's many wondrous worlds altogether. Also, Stacey Schof over at Walt Disney Imagineering, who was fantastic in helping to ferret out many of these facts and um, dates that we were looking for for many of these world showcase um, venues, like you mentioned, Michael. Um, but even looking internationally, you know, we have a much more exhaustive history of even, you know, uh, Disney Village or Festival Disney at Disneyland Paris and the many resorts and their evolution um, over in France. So this really is a global update for the park. Um, and really, Dave's standard was essentially to feature every major attraction, every major shop, every major restaurant. Uh, some of the stands, you know, we I, I, you know we started debating, do we put in something like Aloha Isle and Sunshine Tree Terrace? And and we did. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they have their followings. Um, but we find more of those now as well, too, spanning the globe. So, and that's just parks, right? We're talking, it's the entire company. So, you know, the, the amazing partnerships that we have to help answer these questions around the company, you know, from freeform shows to ABC Signature, there really is a lot to consider and a lot to keep up to date. Right. Do you have any favorite new additions? I personally was very excited to find JJ Fate in there, <laughs> as as well as uh, Birdie from We Links. I was very excited oh, to find you. That's amazing. Do, do you have any anything you were happy to have in there? Well, you mentioned um, some avian friends. You know, Wild Wing from the Mighty Ducks has an entry now, yeah. so oh. Mighty Ducks fans out there can can find Wild Wing's history. You know. 
It's hard to pick a favorite, but just to be able to to feature many of the key personnel who have made such an impact on our company. We feature entries now for folks like Debbie Dane Brown, the first Walt Disney World ambassador, you know, celebrities like Brenda Song with such a robust legacy across so many platforms. You know, George McGinnis, uh, uh, Kevin Rafferty, uh, yeah. you know, so many folks come to mind. Another one of my favorite types of entries are those that are kind of subject entries, if you will. So, for for example, we recently were able to um, restore the exterior of Walt Disney's plane, the Grumman Gulfstream One. And so we were really able to augment the the aircraft entry in the book that goes through all of Walt's aircraft. But bringing that up to date is a good example. But that gave us the inspiration to do some some new entries that, again, are more subject-based. So there's a whole entry now on Walt's offices. So if you're wondering, oh, okay, cool. what were his offices again? What did he do in them? Where did they go? I think they went to Disneyland. I think one might have gone to Walt Disney World. I think they're back at the studio. When did they go back? And when were they dedicated by Bob Iger at the studio? Mm-hmm. We have an entry that answers all those things for you. So those subject matter entries, I think, are my favorite because they're, they're quick summaries that provide really the key details for subjects that often are written about or referenced um, in a variety of ways. So, again, all of this really is a resource. Well, I think as a reference, as you say, using it as a reference, these things are so invaluable because as with those things about Walt's office, that's the kind of thing that you find yourself working on a story in the middle of the night and you're like, gosh, I need to know that fact there's nowhere else that you're going to be able to find that fact. There's nowhere on the internet that is, you can say this is a reliable source that that has this information. So it's so wonderful to have a single place where you can go and find out all these things. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, there is so much out there, right? You can find all sorts of information on the internet, but how do we know it's accurate? What is right, the right. source material? And that's what we're really proud of in this book is all the information you'll find in it is based on material from the archives or from official company sources. So, you know, you might find a date online, but that may not be the accurate date. You might find some information about Walt Disney out there, and there's certainly a lot of information about Walt out out there in the ether that uh, isn't necessarily that accurate. Um, So, you know, we do recommend to anyone who is looking for accurate information to, to use a resource like Disney A to Z. And this is one of just many books that Disney Editions has released for the 100th anniversary. So we think about, you know, the official Walt Disney quote book, the Walt Disney Archive staff for many years poured themselves into this great update to the official list of Walt quotes, you know, sourcing many quotes that, you know, I had never heard of before. So it's really a fantastic resource. There's the story of Disney 100 Years of Wonder coffee table book by Bruce Steele and John Baxter and the staff of the archives as well. Um, and so many others. We recommend um, all listeners check out, um, I believe, the seven or so titles um, that are part of this robust mm-hmm. lineup. And how great, again, just our Disney Editions teams, our, our archives colleagues, you know, pouring themselves into helping to make all this information available to anyone who's interested, which, you know, you know, what I like to say is, you know, we are fans ourselves. And that's really what fuels us is our drive to collect, to preserve, to make available and share the history of the company. And, um, certainly that's the case for Disney A to Z as well, going back to what Dave's mission for it was. Well, I think that's great. And as you say, I, I know they, they also reissued uh, the Walt Disney uh, biography, the great Bob Thomas, correct? Yes. Well, the American, uh, an American original. The American original, uh, among other yes. things. I'm glad you bring up the quote book because I, I had that in mind to mention when you were talking about things found on the internet. 
And it's great to have a book of Walt quotes because occasionally I've, I'm called upon in my writing to find a Walt quote for something. And there's a lot there, there on the internet that's not true, folks. So, you know, be careful. Go to the source. Go to the company. If you can dream it, <laughs> uh, you can find it in uh, the official quote book. And it's <laughs> accurate and you know it's well sourced. Yes. <laughs> I know Becky was keeping, our, our, our leader Becky Klein was keeping up a whole list for so many years of, of Walt quotes that really... They, they might be from television lead-ins or really some sources that weren't as well known. And a lot of that served as the basis for many of these updates. The archives research team pouring themselves into that book. Uh, our colleague, Kevin M. Kern, really pouring himself into this quote book. Um, the amount of hours spent cross-referencing, going back to the original sources that even Dave used when he compiled the first list of company Walt quotes in the 70s. His work was so impressive in bringing this to life. And one of my favorite things that Kevin shared, you know, when when we present on historical information and the importance of doing proper research when it comes to telling Disney stories and sharing Disney history accurately. And it, inevitably, we talk about Walt Disney quotes and some of the more inaccurate ones that are often used, certainly the resources now, like the quote books that are available from the company. And what we like to say is when it comes to Walt quotes, if you can prove it, you can use it. <laughs> so if you can find Walt Disney, right, sharing these words, word for word, and that is an authoritative source, it's an, it's an original source, it's a primary source, you can use it. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, begs the question, what's next for A to Z? Is there anything you'd like to have included, didn't have time or space, or... You know, what? what's next in general for, for this important project? Well, that's a wonderful question. Um, the book is always in a state of becoming, as Walt Disney might have said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it will never be complete as long as there is Disney history in the world. No, uh, to be more serious, we are constantly working on new entries for it. Hopefully we'll see another edition in the future. Um, in terms of were there any entries we wish we could have put in? Absolutely. You know, I have a running list of entries that were newly written, but we didn't have a chance to put them in. I, I consider them nice to haves. There, you know, certainly we include every film, all the park attractions, right? All the television series, right? The Disney television series. Um, but uh, hopefully, we'll see some of these additional entries um, in there in the future. Maybe on the website we'll start, um, but hopefully, in the next print edition, we'll have even more. That's wonderful. You did one thing I thought was very cool in this, and. In the introduction, your introduction to the book, you included your email address in case people had corrections or suggestions or, you know, additions or things. I thought that was really neat. And I just wondered if you've had a big response to this from the Disney history community uh, for this new edition. We've already received some emails with some notes on the book, um, which has been very helpful. And, and really, this is simply continuing what Dave did. So Dave included his email address and... He was so appreciative when someone would write and say, you know, oh, we noticed, you know, a misspelling here or, you know, a typo with the date. Inevitably, these things happen, right? We do our very best to make sure it's as accurate as possible. Sure. Um, but, you know, even in the sixth edition, you know, we were finding entries uh, with typos that have been there since 1996. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. And, you know, I had read cover to cover essentially the the book and you know for the fourth and fifth edition. So, so you know we work as much as possible to to make sure these are accurate, and we're very thankful to to anyone who's 
able to help make this resource the most authoritative and the most accurate it can be. Well, we certainly appreciate it. And I, I know it's, it is hard to wrangle that much text. So the fact that there are as few errors as there are is, is, is a small miracle uh, for a book of this <laughs> size. Well, do you have any other projects going on you can tease us about or, uh, or we just have to wait and see what's next? So there's so much underway. Disney 100, the exhibition, is going to continue to travel. We're going to have openings in Kansas City coming up in 2024, which is, of course, Kansas City, Missouri, where Walt Disney's animation career began. Uh, and then a little bit later in the year, we have D23, the ultimate Disney fan event, August 9th, 10th, and 11th of 2024 in Anaheim. Uh, if you knew the D23 Expo, you may have heard that the event has evolved quite a bit. We're excited to share more details on that. Um, in the coming months. So please stay tuned. And of course, on a daily basis, you know, collecting and preserving the history of the company brings its own surprises and adventures day by day. And hopefully we'll be able to share about our discoveries in the archives and new projects underway on d23.com. So stay tuned. Well, that all sounds great. I'm really excited to see what happens with Expo this year because it's a good time. And, uh, you know, it's it sounds like it's going to be even more of a good time. And as you say, with with this kind of job, doing this kind of work, you never know what kind of things you're going to stumble upon at in, on any given day. So it's it's always a, an exciting day. It always is, absolutely. Well, it is Christmas after all, so we have a little surprise for our listeners. Our friends at Disney Publishing been kind enough to send us a brand new copy of the Centennial Edition of Disney A to Z brighten the holidays of one lucky listener so stick around to the end of the episode if you're interested in hearing how to enter the drawing and Stephen, thank you so much for joining us for the really hard work you've done over the years to preserve walt's legacy we really appreciate it your efforts do mean so much to everybody well thank you so much for saying that you know this really is a tribute to dave to our colleagues at the company and a huge thanks to to both of you for having me on. I am so thrilled to have been on the show. So thanks for the invite. Yes, absolutely. Anytime. So help yourself to the festive buffet. Enjoy the party. And uh, we'll uh, see you soon, I hope. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That was very nice of Stephen to draw by, wasn't it, Jeff? That very nice. And uh, what good work he's doing. And all the folks at the archives, you know, A to Z is just the first stop we make on the road to any avenue. I mean, you know, we're always cross-referencing it in A to Z. And this quote book, Michael. I mean, just so many good things. And uh, Stephen's involved in all that good work at the archives and, and, uh, and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've we've had Becky here on the show uh, on our first Christmas episode, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, they it's just a good bunch of people and they do good work. So we're very grateful to them. And uh, remember, everybody, if you stick around at the end of the show, we'll have a giveaway for a hot off the presses copy of the new A to Z. That's pretty exciting. A giveaway. 
That's, that's unprecedented. But it's a great part of a holiday raffle. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a white elephant party, but it's all presents that everybody wants to get. Right. Absolutely. So how's that going with Fondue Fountain? Uh, it's working well. Uh, we've got cheese now and chocolate. So, uh, you know, you can go either way. They're the kind of, they're bookending the uh, the table, the spread over there. What, uh, right. Did you have the relish tray uh, centerpiece going? I'm a big fan. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of the pub cheese. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, always, always good on a relish tray with uh, some crudite and, and some pub cheese. Yes, so absolutely. Always good for spreading. And uh, some lovely charcuterie. It's wonderful, wonderful. Well, what do my wondering ears do appear? It's noted writer, author, and historian, Fox Nolte. Fox, come on in. Welcome. You know, there's a rowdy group here that just got in and took the wedway from the Tamashaner, but uh, they're moving away. Uh, it's good to have you here. How's it going? Merry Christmas. Oh, thank you. Merry Christmas. No, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Yeah. Thank you. Now, Fox, we know, uh, I know from personal experience, you do the holidays upright. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. So, uh, do you have any any exciting plans for this holiday season? Uh, no, not especially. Um, I think I think right now it's about as good as it's going to get. I'm sitting about three feet away from a blow mold Christmas llama, and I'm happy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. You know, our wacky neighbor Jay next door gets you know his snowmobile out every once in a while and cuts donuts even in the middle of the Florida heat. Yeah, well, um, he's a menace. He is. He is truly. Well, it's great to have you here. You know, we've followed, of course, all your writing through the years on Passport to Dreams Old and New and Mike's Age recently, Mice Chat. That was ironic. Yes. That <laughs> yeah. was that was a fun twist. Yeah, yeah. And and it ended up at the home of Lutz. Oh wow. Well. Yeah. Man, I feel like royalty adjacent here. It's so <laughs> <Thank> exciting. You. <laughs> so exciting. Of course, in 2020, uh, you had a wonderful book called about the Haunted Mansion, Boundless Realm, Deep Explorations Inside Disney's Haunted Mansion, which was mm-hmm. wonderful. Uh, what's been going on lately? I have spent the last couple of years writing a follow-up book on Pirates of the Caribbean. And then if that wasn't enough, I then decided to write another book about Walt Disney World Hidden History. And that one's actually going to come out first. Okay. That's great. That's a rich, that's a rich subject to tackle. So you had such a big success with Boundless Realm and everybody loved that book. And I just wondered what made you decide to go this direction? I mean, obviously after a mansion book, Pirate seems natural. You gotta do a pirate's book. Like the two the two of them just go together like peanut butter and jelly. And it's very hard to write about one without writing about the other. And um it just seemed like the only logical thing to do. It's yeah. true. They are birds of a feather. I know you had a very personal connection to Haunted Mansion. What about pirates? Did you have any experience uh with pirates in your history that endeared you to it equally or or similarly? When I was growing up, of course, like both of you, I grew up, you know, with Walt Disney World and Haunted Mansion was my favorite ride. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I got very fixated on it. 
And um, I was very, very early on the Disney internet. I used to run a site called GrimGhosts.com, and that was entirely a Haunted Mansion fan site. I did it entirely when I was a teenager in high school. And, uh, you know, it mostly covered the Florida Mansion, covered the Disneyland one, too. And then a little bit of Haunted Mansion holiday. But then when I graduated high school, um, I finally got to do the thing that I had been asking my parents to do, which was to take me to Disneyland in California. So the first time I went there was in 2003. Never got to see it pre-DCA. But, you know, I think the first thing I rode was the Jungle Cruise. And I think the second thing I rode was Pirates of the Caribbean. And that version of the ride just completely took my head off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just moved me profoundly in ways that I didn't even know was possible. And ever since then, that has been that California version of Pirates of the Caribbean has been my favorite ride. My favorite ride anywhere, ever, ever built, etc. I agree with that. The way that it sets up is just so different than the Florida ride and it and really any other ride I can think of. It's so cinematic and dreamy. Oh, I love that ride. I want to go on it again. But it is so good. It is. So it, good. is it is. Well, it's so funny that uh, like we knew this ride from watching Pirates of the Caribbean to the World of Tomorrow from uh, yeah. the, the anthology show. So we knew the show flow, but when it, when you go on it, it just hits so hard. It hits so different. Uh, it's really special thing. It does. It's it's one thing to sort of know intellectually. And of course, you know, you know, hanging out on the Disney internet since like 1997, I knew intellectually it was longer. Like I knew that it started with a bayou scene, but like when you're actually in it, it's so powerful and effective Mm-hmm. Um, that it just completely, it's one of those experiences that's so good and so powerful, it just short circuits logic and yeah. rewires your brain to, to like work differently. Yes. Um, I've, I've told, I've told people forever. It's the nearest I ever came to a religious experience was writing that for the first time. I can see it because the, just the sheer ambiance of, I, I mean, obviously the Walt Disney world corollary is the opening scene of el rio de tiempo there Mm -hmm. as far as scenes you could just want to crawl into and live there Mm -hmm. and just hide out and stay but then following the drop with the caverns and just the slow wind up of the attraction it is incredible to experience you get so much before the experience that you get in Florida and you get so much after the experience you get in Florida, there's, there's so much tacked on to both ends. And I mean, maybe you can answer this as you're doing a lot more research than I've ever done into pirates. But uh, according to what I know, they thought they were, you know, cutting to the chase a little bit more in Florida. Is that correct? Well, um, yeah, there there were a couple of things. It seems as if um, John Hench in particular, like, really didn't think the caverns were necessary. And uh, on top of that, you know, when you've spent literally years developing a pirate ride and honing a sequence of events, then Walt Disney just showing up one day and being like, you know, we're putting it outside the park and we're going to put some <laughs> some skeletons and stuff downstairs, whatever, just right. make it up. <laughs> right. Which is very much what happened. I'd like to point out that Mark Davis, I think, did all of the concept for the for the skeleton gags. I swear it was like like 
it was like spring 66 or something like that. And of course, they were moving forward with the expectation to open in summer 66 with the rest of New Orleans Square. Uh, that didn't end up happening because they actually literally could not manufacture the animatronics fast enough to get them out of Glendale <laughs> and down five into the attraction. Um, that's that's actually what delayed it until after Walt Disney's death, but they expected to open it with the rest of New Orleans Square in, I think, June or July 66. And so basically, like, up until the skeletons were approved, it was actually going to be scenes with animatronics and special effects, and they cut that, and they literally did the skeletons as, like, a last-minute fix. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Very, very true. Um, there's, there's very conflicting reports about what the scenes would have been like. I would love to know if the beach scene, the Dead Man's Cove scene, was always there. No one knows. But apparently, when you turn the corner where the guy steering the ship is, you're supposed to look out of the mouth of a cave. And you would see way in the distance the gunfight of the ship um, oh. firing on the fort. Oh, interesting. And then you turn the corner and you'd go into the bar and they were going to have a gag where water dripped from the ceiling into pots and pans and it played Yoho. <laughs> and then um, further around there, um, you'd go past the captain's quarters and there'd be a parrot in there. And the parrot was like repeating overheard plots to burn the town. And then at the very end, you'd pass the treasure cache. Instead of the skeleton, it was going to be guarded by, like, crocodiles. <laughs> and apparent, apparently, Marty Sklar really wanted to have this idea of, like, a sort of castaway pirate who was, like, trying to sell you treasure inside of a trench coat. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and then, of course, you'd go out and you'd go through the whole scene on the town. And basically, at a certain point, they just had to cut the budget. And I don't know where they got the skeletons. Um, I think they got them from USC, <laughs> maybe UCLA. Um, originally, yes, they appear to have been real skeletons. Wow, what an honor. Uh, yeah, no, there, there, there is, there's a whole, I went through a whole research deep dive in oh my, my book gosh. about the use of real skeletons in Hollywood, which is all centered <laughs> around poltergeist which is the most famous use of that ever. But mm, yeah. in, almost, in almost all movies, they are real skeletons. And sort of talking about the technology of building plastic skeletons, which was in its infancy in the 60s. So, yeah, I mean, um, it seems as if those were real bones, and they got them somehow, uh, you know, paste them together with an awful lot of sculpture and, you know, you know daring-do and know-how. Um, and therefore, everyone, I, get, I think the original generation always sort of felt that the skeletons were just like a Band-Aid. And as a result, they sort of didn't want them in the ride. They thought the hmm. ride was the main body of the ride that they had spent years developing. And um, it's sort of ironic. It shows you how wrong you can be. It's funny, too, how so many of these things are kind of born out of necessity or a deadline mm -hmm. uh, you see through the years. Or just a certain set of circumstances. I mean, you think about the stretching room in the Haunted Mansion, the same kind of thing. You need to get outside that berm. Mm -hmm. And all these things become just canon and lore. But another thing is, I just miss when these two parks, Disney World and Disneyland, would have very different versions of the same attraction. Yeah, different stuff. Yeah, That was so cool. And, and I mean, you've written a lot about Space Mountain and made me think a lot differently about Disney World, Space Mountain, and how... Uh, I love Disney World, Space Mountain. Yeah, the, and you made me love it too. <laughs> yeah. It is the only Space Mountain in the world like that just exists to torment you. Right. You know, 
You know, you, you spend you spend the entire time like walking forever and you're like, where are we going? Um, you know, and you and finally you and finally you get on the on the ship and the first thing they do is they shoot you through a tube that brings you back to the entrance of the building and then turn you around and put you up a lift hill. And by that point you're so worked up, you're going up this lift hill, you don't know where the heck you're going. You think you're gonna drop like a million feet, and then you drop like two feet, and then you just go a little bit, and then you go up again, and then you drop two feet again and you go again. I mean, it spends so long toying with you but that by the time you actually get to the bulk of the thrill stuff you don't know what the heck is happening or where you are i love it i, I love the florida space mountain it's uh it's evil genius <laughs> well the astronaut said it was just like being in space so you is, know, yeah. i'll take their words for it obviously we've got a couple of projects that you're working on now and I was just wondering what your you know this mix of history and theory that you always seem to have yeah. how do you find that mix how do you find that balance and i i don't know do you, do you think that's an accurate characterization because i feel like you always have this very interesting mix in your writing i i think i think it is interesting i think that the thing that people need to understand when they read my writing is that i went to school to be a, a film historian right makes um, sense and a lot of the work that I do in the theme park space is based on film theory. And I feel that particularly when talking about the classic WED era of um, designers, it's accurate because they were all filmmakers before Disneyland mm -hmm. was ever a thing. Absolutely. Yes. Right. And I think that was part of what makes it so incredible. I mean, you think about somebody like Herb Ryman and those uh, ship sales and uh, New Orleans Square, just such a mm -hmm. movie trick, a backlot trick, kind of, and it and it that feels different now. I mean, these hyper realistic lands they build lose a little bit of that kind of matte painting, kind of wonderful mid century filmmaking uh, ideal. It, it well, there's, there's... I, I think I think that some of it is just down to the fact that you know you know that you know the guys who built Disneyland either came from Hollywood studios or had made an insane number of movies. I mean, when you think mm -hmm. about the number of shorts that Claude Coates <laughs> made in his lifetime before he ever started throwing together stuff for Mr. Toad's Wild Ride in 1955, mm -hmm. it's astonishing. And um, you think about all the stuff that Richard Irvine did before he was basically hijacked into doing Disneyland. And um, all of these guys made so many things, and they did them in a studio system that no longer exists, where at the height of their powers, the Hollywood studios were releasing a movie a week. Right. Like one movie a week. I mean, wow. like, yeah. these people didn't have time to stop for anything. They just had to get it done. And um, so much of that craft and so much of that skill went into Disneyland and Magic Kingdom and Epcot and Tokyo Disneyland, and then basically all of them were gone. And then the next generation of Imagineers came in, and they were fans of what they did, but they had never made movies. That's a big difference. And now, basically, you just have the copy of the copy of the copy of the copy, where, you know, so many um, so many theme park fans, you know, I talk to them, and, like, you know, they've, they've, they've never seen Casablanca. You know, they've never seen, you know, these classic films. They don't understand how the whole thing works together. They don't understand why the genres were chosen for Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And uh, all they know is the source text of what's there, and sometimes only what has been there for the last 20 years. 
Right. And, you know, it really, it really does make a big difference when you've actually made movies. It changes the way you think about it. It changes the way you think about how to sequence an experience. I think you're right. Everything from the staging to just the technical. I mean, I think of, we, we've seen photos online. Uh, I mean, you've seen in real life. When you view, uh, take Pirates for an example, when you view those sets close up, they are rough. <laughs> they are not polished uh, things, uh, but when you stand back, the net effect is incredible. It completely yeah, yeah, sells yeah. the illusion. And I think people don't understand that uh, you can do things very, if you know the tricks, you can do things very quickly uh, and crudely in a way that's very effective. Yeah, yeah. Pirates in particular is just like, it's all just like tinfoil and like things hanging on strings <laughs> and like weird smears of paint. And then, yeah, you go to the boat and you put it under show lighting and you're like, this is incredible. It's the same thing with the Haunted Mansion, you know. Uh, so much of the Haunted Mansion, like an amazing amount of the Haunted Mansion is just flat black painted walls. You don't mm. see it. And you don't want to see it in regular light because it's disgusting. <laughs> well, and that's a, that's the thing is they knew how to stage things and draw your eyes. So, I mean, Haunted Mansion, they built a whole system around doing that. And it didn't have to be 360 to be, you know, everything had to be to every detail. And I feel like that has been lost as like a series of vignettes that would immerse you in a different way. I have I have two points to make about that. One fun challenge you can do for yourself: ride the haunted mansion and try not to look at where you're supposed to look. <laughs> Go ahead, do it. Spend the whole time like looking behind the car, or like at the ceiling, or at the floor. First of all, one, it's almost impossible. Two, you will see how little is actually there. Right, because it doesn't need to be. Yeah, and, it's um, <laughs> and then the other thing I have to say is that you know, modern Imagineering has lots of things that they like to say about story and you know having stories and walt disney telling stories and storytelling and the guests being involved in the story and story 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 uh that really is an eisner thing you know eisner was really really into sort of movie studio high concept pitches yeah but i feel that when we say the word story we have to understand that Walt Disney had a very different understanding of the word story than we do. And I feel that this has led to lots of misunderstanding about the craft behind these wet attractions. You know, when Walt, you know, when, when Mark Davis reported that Walt Disney didn't feel that it was a storytelling medium, I think what Walt Disney was thinking of more was he was thinking of those seven minute shorts like Silly Symphonies or the Donald Duck shorts, where they don't really have a story, they have a scenario, and then you work your way through variations on the scenario. Yes. And I think that that is the best way to think of the classic wet attractions, is that they're basically like a little five-minute film, where there's a very simple basic scenario, you go into a haunted house, and it's a bunch of escalating sort of musically sequenced experiences based on that scenario. Yeah, I think that's a very good observation. And, well, when you look back at the animation studio with those shorts back in the day, very famously, they offered a good amount of money to whoever at the studio could come up with a gag. Mm -hmm. uh, anything that they could insert into the film, a gag that paid off. And that's essentially what Mark Davis was doing. I mean, when you look at his sketches for Jungle Cruise or the Ice Palace or any of it, 
it, uh, World of Motion is another great one. It's it's a gag scenario, and it's it's just a perfectly crafted little vignette that it's it's not a treatment for a larger thing. It's just a perfect little gag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think World of Motion is a great example because you're kind of always moving towards a spotlight at the end of the room that's showing like a gag, you know, through room after room. I mean, and then there are some that are more blown out, but it's very much directing you towards a sequence of these. Yeah. And world of motion actually had probably the closest example that I can think of to a three dimensional topper gag. Um, the topper gag being the, the joke at the end of the sequence of jokes that sort of recontextualizes everything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's the, uh, it's, it's the cop behind the billboard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So good. You know, and, and everyone saw it and everyone laughed. Um, and, uh, you know, if you think about, you know, the, the ability to come up with that just off the top of your head, just, I mean, not off the top of my head, we know very well that Mark worked very, very hard to come up with his ideas. Um, but the ability to do it so gracefully is what astonishes me. And it's the reason why, you know, it's, you know, that, that along with my film experience is why I'm very drawn to these classic wet attractions and the modern stuff. Well, good is just not for me. Yeah, I can see that. And, and, and that comes across in boundless realm where you talk about the Hollywood horror tradition that a lot of the roots of the mansion came out of. It's just very interesting how a knowledge of that history really informs where all these tropes come from. So um, my Pirates book, Scoundrels, Villains, and Knaves, uh, coming out probably in August 2024, depending on how quickly I can get my stuff together, um, (laughs) is pretty much a book-length version of that first chapter of Boundless Realm. Oh, Oh, great. It is the (laughs) entire history of piracy as a fictional construct. Interesting. Like, we literally start with real (laughs) villains in the real Caribbean, you know, burning real ships, and I bring you forward all the way to the present day in chronological order. (laughs) That's interesting. Well, and especially because Disney has so many ties to how we as modern society views piracy. I mean, even just going back to the performance of Long John Silver in Treasure Island, Mm -hmm. pretty much inventing what talk like a pirate day is all is all about (laughs) really goes back to to a Disney thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I when when I was thinking about trying to write this pirates book, I went through and I began doing the research and doing the reading and doing the history, and I could only find one person who had really tackled the question of where do our ideas about pirates come from. Mm-hmm. Um, an excellent book by a historian named, I believe, Neil Rennie called Treasure Neverland. Um, and he did a great job laying out the first, like, 200 years of history. But then he runs out of material in the 20th century because, of course, the 20th century touchstone for pirate mythology is the Disneyland ride. Right. Mm. 
And he's not willing to follow the Disneyland ride down the rabbit hole that then leads you on to, you know, Goonies and Captain Jack Sparrow and all those sorts of things. Um, And so I was very happy to complete the story, you know, and go to the places that he wasn't willing to. Um, and sort of, and, and that's, that's sort of, that's sort of the, oh God, it's not really much of an elevator pitch, but that's the concept of that book is that I tell you where these ideas came from, how the ride modified them, and then how that ride kept modifying our ideas of what pirates are up to the present day. That's very interesting. I, I think that's really relevant to why one of the reasons why I think pirates in Haunted Mansion remain successful to this day is that these tropes and genres kind of still linger on. I mean, the 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 fact that the pirate one seems to ebb and flow is always so fascinating to me. You know that in the '90s, you know, pirate movies became very. Uh, box office poison and then got resurrected again so it's just it just keeps going yeah no it's a very long interesting um history and uh, i bring you through all the highlights and a whole lot of the lowlights <laughs> that, <laughs> sure that led us to where we are and uh consistently uh calling back to those attractions and then there's a big meaty chunk right in the middle that is about all four versions of the ride oh great i was wondering if you were focus on Disneyland in specific, or if you would take a wider view? Yeah, um, I have now been on all four of them um, in person and seen them with my eyeballs. And um, I report back, and it also has, I think, one of the best overviews of how, that I've read, of how Disneyland and Pirates kind of fit into Walt Disney's creative vision and then how that changed when he died and to the point where we ended up with the Florida version. Right. I think that's going to be new for a lot of readers, even those who are familiar with a lot of Disney history stuff. Well, speaking of Walt's death in the Florida version, (laughs) you have a new book, the hidden history of Walt Disney world, which we mentioned, and I am, super interested about this. It seems to touch up against a lot of the things I'm interested in. What can you tell us about that one? Well, um, since we're sort of in um, friendly confines here, you know, and we're all Disney nerds here. Absolutely. The Disney nerd elevator pitch for this book is that it is the only Walt Disney World history book ever published that has one picture of Walt Disney, but two pictures of Radio Nick. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good Nick. ratio for a nerd for a nerd yes. book. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. And 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 you will you will howl when you see this picture of Radio <laughs> Nick that I've unearthed. Oh yes, people who are, who don't know who Radio Nick is can listen to our Baylick episode before this book comes out, and we go into a little bit of his history and the uh, porcelain swan and all that, but. What a story. And yeah, so fascinating to follow these kind of plot lines of this Florida property, which you would think, well, it was just probably nothing. But there are all these little somethings that go on there before Disney moves to town. I sort of did my very best to, well, first of all, the book spends a lot of time on like what was on the property before Disney owned it. And I find some truly amazing things. Um, that existed on that on that piece of land. 
Um, and also, I've really tried hard to tie Orlando history and local history into Disney World history. Wonderful. Um, I don't like the way that everyone treats it separately. And I feel that this is a book that you could give to someone who's only been to Disney World and knows the very basics. Or you could give it to someone who's been there a million times and knows um, a good deal about it. Or even someone who's just moved to Orlando and is only really interested in Disney World, and that's a surprisingly large number of people who live in Orlando, <laughs> who kind of need the helping hand to get them into local history and how the two interface. I think that's a great point and a great thing to talk about because people need to realize Orlando existed there for quite a long time before Disney came. Mm -hmm. And it was a world unto itself and... I think probably, Jeff, it was with the Radio Nick that we were talking about the zoo that they had yeah, in town. Or, and, Orlo Zoo or whatever <laughs> they called it. Yeah. Uh, the animals breaking loose and everything. Yeah. And, you know, even up to more <laughs> contemporary days, I was recently researching the Bank of Lake Buena Vista, which they were attempting to establish in the 70s there at the village. And all the local banking guys who worked at uh, the prominent Orlando banks who, and like Paul Hellowell and those people who helped obtain the Disney property, the local people that they were going to get control of this bank as like a kickback for their participation in helping Disney find the property. So all those early boosterism days, those Florida action center days, Oh yes, there's so many connections to how Disney came to be there. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was a very interesting. Well, I mean, listen, it wasn't an assignment. I actually like sought these people out. It's being published by History Press slash Arcadia, and those are the people who publish those images of America books that you see like everywhere yeah, sure. in the yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and basically, I went to them with this concept. They already had a um, a sort of sub brand of their line called Hidden History. Um, and I owned a handful of these books. And I sort of said, wouldn't it be awesome if there could be a Hidden History of Walt Disney World book? So I went to them. I pitched them on it. Thankfully, they accepted me on it. And then I wrote, I researched and wrote the whole thing in one year, which I can't believe I did. That's impressive. Um, however, due to the nature of how they publish, and it's the reason why I wanted to work with them, is that they publish in a specific format at a specific size and a specific price point. Right. So then the question becomes, how do I tell the story of Walt Disney World in about 42,000 words? <laughs> wow, yeah. And the solution that I landed on was to say, okay, you know nothing about Disney World history. You might be buying this in an airport. So I did a couple of things. First of all, I only focused on getting them to understand why and how everything that's there is there now. Sure. And second of all, I completely threw out anything that wasn't still there. Mm. This made writing about Epcot incredibly difficult. 
<laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, like I did it. You know, I bring them uh, from you know, and the and the first part of the book um is basically like all of the oldest stuff. Um, so Bay Lake, Radio Nick, um, you know, the the house that, that Phil Smith lived in, uh, Doctor Phillips, Preview Center, etc. Um, then the second part of the book is called Action Center, and it's basically yeah. about what the construction of Disney World did to Orlando. And then we go on to uh, the Magic Kingdom, the Vacation Kingdom section. We go through the whole ramp up through all the crazy iterations of Epcot, how they ended mm. up with what they did on opening day. Um, and then the Eisner era, and I cut it right at like 98. Oh, okay. That's the spot to cut it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good spot. Get some perspective. Wow. That is sounds like so much to take on. Uh, and yeah, the. I like the parameters. I wonder what some of your favorite little uh, thing rabbit holes you went down were. Um, I'm not going to reveal my favorite things in the book. Fair, fair. Um, <laughs> because I really don't want them to be spoiled. Um, I have a take on the history of the Stolport that I don't believe anyone has ever written. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Um, that takes in a much wider view, explaining why there was a Stolport. Um, I have the only history of Vineland, Florida, ever written in that Interesting. book. Interesting, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Um, I have a, I think I have one of the most concise and properly sourced sort of short explanations of how Ron Miller got fired and Eisner got hired. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so you're covering a lot of territory. Yeah. Oh yes, I am. Yeah, um, I, I, I have I have an entire chapter about Michael Eisner's obsession with factories. <laughs> <laughs> Something our listeners know a little bit about. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have I have a chapter about the Frontierland Shooting Arcade that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. Okay. Fine. All right. Um, I have a much more accurate account of the Orange Bird and how that relationship fell apart. Than I think anyone has published. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. I in each one in each one of them, I tried to either kind of be the first to put the information together in the way that I did, or to give a different take on the information than you might already know. Right. Well, that's oh, that's great and very useful. Well, I mean, obviously, you're known for doing your research, and it's clear you've done this. What is your research process like for something like this? Um, I kind of lose my mind and I get very obsessive <laughs> and yeah. I, I just start digging through, like I'll dig and then you get, you just kind of find like one diamond. And then what I'll do mm. is I'll start like laying through it chronologically. Probably the most intense research project I've ever undertaken in my life was for a, was for a, um, an article that I published on Passport to Dreams in 2020, uh, the weird history of the ports of call village. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I did all that research in like a month and a half. Wow. And I was basically like not sleeping because the <laughs> story kept getting crazier the deeper into it I dug down. And that's kind of what I do is I sort of just start looking for like subjects and things to connect it. And, you know, I feel like as a historian, you have to tell the story. But there also needs to be a thread that's woven through the whole thing. Sure. And then you need to find a way to sort of wrap it up at the end. And that's the hardest part. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, especially when it's an ongoing 
an ongoing concern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When when will the Hidden History? When is that coming out? That comes out, I believe, February twelfth, twenty twenty-four. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. And so oh, I'm sure, yeah, and everyone will fly will. and do yes. that right now. <laughs> please do, please do. <laughs> hey, um, I mean, as of right now, so so, um, Michael, I'm sure you remember this. There is a there's a category on Amazon called theme park travel guides. Uh-huh. Then there's another category that somehow my publishers found. God bless them called Disney World Travel Books. And almost nothing is in there, but um, my book is number 14 in Disney World Travel Books. Hooray. Yeah. Up with a bullet. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I'm sure everybody is going to be really looking forward to this. Well, I think about the reaction to Boundless Realm. Is there anything that surprised you in how people reacted to that? That's sort of your first big book project is there anything that surprised you how people reacted or how did you feel about how people reacted to that yeah so many things because you know boundless realm is this like it's written the way it is because i didn't know i didn't know if i could write a book (laughs) so it's basically a series of insane rambles about wallpaper (laughs) (laughs) you know and uh and very close to the end of it um, the book ends with um, a, a, a very short chapter called Theses on the Haunted Mansion that kind of <laughs> take everything I talk about and condense it down. That was written in the last month. The book didn't really have a didn't really have a it didn't really have an identity until I wrote that first chapter about the whole history of horror. And then I said, oh, wait a minute, this is a cultural history because up to then I've just been rambling about all the things I know about the Haunted Mansion. Right. And that is one of the reasons why it has this it has this introduction where basically I say, listen, if you need to know like basic facts about the haunted mansion, you're on your own. Go read these other books. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was nervous about that. I was very concerned about that, but I felt that it was only fair to warn people what they were getting into. You know, and I have that title on the on the cover to try to hint people in like Deep explorations, mm-hmm. you know, it's chosen carefully, um, and also the the term boundless realm is chosen carefully. It's a big, expansive space. Sure, yeah. It turns out people loved the fact that I tell them they have to go somewhere else for the basic info. Yeah, there's more than one five star review on Amazon where they haven't read the book. They've only read the introduction and they gave the book a five star review because of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, no, I was I was astonished. I was like, what, they like this? Like, I thought I thought they'd be upset. Like you're doing a service. You're uh, yeah, I I love that uh, openness up front and I mean, the, the last thing the world needed was somebody to give the you know, another hidden Mickey's list of the haunted mansion or whatever. Right. I mean, like I would like, I'm, I'm actually now a little nervous that I do a regular development history of pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> in scoundrels, <laughs> villains and knaves, because people love the fact that I just didn't bother in my first book. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, now I'm like worried again. I'm like, oh, are they, are they not going to like this because I make them read about like Walt Disney? Oh, everybody loves Uncle Walt. Gosh. But I feel like Mansion is something that, I I don't know, even though Pirates is 
is equally as iconic as Haunted Mansion. I, f- I feel like the, the level of scholarship, there isn't as much on Pirates as there is on Mansion to this point. Yeah, it was nice to be able to present a better sourced, better researched, tighter version of the genesis of Pirates, particularly the Pirates in Florida. Yes. Um, that was very badly needed, and it's a mm-hmm. real warts and all picture of what was happening in WED at the time. Well, that's important because I feel like especially that Walt Disney World version, there is a lot of received wisdom out there about why it is the way it is and how it came to be. So a fresh perspective on that is sorely needed, I would think. Yeah, Yeah, and um, I would say that the shape that the two books took um, is actually very dictated by the shape the attractions themselves take. You know, Pirates is very, like, Big picture. It's big scope. Yeah. Big scenes, you know, and, and and every once in a while you can drill into a little thing, but you don't have to. It's big stuff. It it, it gives the feeling of an epic. And as a result, the the Pirates book is a it's an epic chronicle of 300 years of popular culture. Whereas, you know, what is the haunted mansion but a ride where you ride past a million weird things and go, what's that? What's that? What's that? <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. I, it, sure. Yeah, that's great. Sure. And yet, you know, these are the sort of twin pillars of Disney theme park canon, I suppose. Yeah. 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 They're, 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 sort of, they're sort of the yin and yang. And I mm-hmm. talk about that at the end of, you know, the section on the Disneyland Pirates in the Pirates book about how they're so complimentary that even if you grew up going to magic kingdom where they're on opposite ends of the park, everyone still intuits that there's a connection between them. Yes, absolutely. I think that's totally true. Yeah. Well, Fox, we've, we've got a big holiday spread over here to mix and mingle with any, any final thoughts? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing all these stories. And we're really looking forward to the books. And hopefully everybody listening will go and pre-order that book on Amazon. Any any further thoughts? You see, you see, you see this is where I feel like I have to say something that's sort of, um, I don't know, profound. Um, okay. Um, my books are pretty good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like pirates. Yes. Uh, check them out if you want. Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas to you. a haiku. And uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to those books. Well, Jeff, I think this brings us to the end of another Christmas show. Oh, these parties take forever to plan, but then they're over in a flash. But man, this one is, uh, you know, we took one year off, came back with a bang, I think. Uh, These, you know, our guests and our party guests and our speaking guests, uh, you know, second to none. Absolutely. And it's, it's always exciting to talk to our friends. 
who have such wonderful projects underway and such wonderful projects in store. And, you know, I, you just think of what this new year might bring on in terms of new books and, you know, who knows what everybody has up their sleeve. So very hopeful that by next year we'll have all sorts of new things to talk about. Because we like books. Can't you tell? <laughs> books, kids. <laughs> books. Read them. Read them. Yes, we do love books, and we love exploring wonderful histories, which we will continue to do in the coming year. Like I said, more in 24, Michael. More in 24. That's our slogan. And uh, we're, we're going to make it happen. So absolutely, we'd like to thank our special guests for joining us. Thank all the folks who've been kind enough to join us for our town hall episodes all year long. Jeff, we've... we've we have quite a few episodes in the tank for the year, so I, I think uh, there's plenty for people to go back and enjoy if they have if they've missed a thing or two. There's always there's always something you can go back and check. Go back, go back in time. Uh, yeah, some some real gems back there, and uh, you know the interviews are very long, and uh, there's just so many wonderful stories within them. So you know, listen to them again, maybe. If you Absolutely. listened to the first time while driving, maybe you were distracted. Maybe somebody uh, had a little road rage. You missed a story about a utilidor or something. I don't know. Exactly. I mean, it's gotten to the point where there's so much time between these episodes and now that I've forgotten things and have to go back and listen to myself as reference to find, you know, to find what one of our guests said on one yeah. of the shows. But I was like, I remember they talked about something, but I can't remember quite what. So I have to go back. So. Someday we're going to just have to transcribe all these things and yes. uh, bind them up in a book or something. Pay so, our fortune for it. But yes, we should. It all goes back to books. Uh, <laughs> now, during our chat with Stephen, I mentioned that we're going to have a festive holiday giveaway because we're lucky enough to have a copy of Disney A to Z, the Centennial Edition, to give away. This is a great reference book. I've, you know, I've, If you haven't garnered by now, <laughs> this is a great book. I've already used my own copy quite a bit and working on the show. You should check it out. Uh, for our giveaway, I'm going to be a little mercenary and make it a gift exchange. Jeff, we got to get our beak wet here. We do. You know, it's like we don't ask for much, but we ask for a lot when we do. <laughs> exactly. So to enter, all you need to do is leave our show a five-star review on the podcast service of your choice. Take a screenshot or just a photo on your phone daguerreotype I don't care how you do it but email it to podcast at progresscityusa.com and uh, we'll accept submissions until well, say January 31st of 2024 after which one name will be drawn at random I promise to receive the book that sound good sounds great I mean we should put them into a randomizer like yeah. a wheel of fortune perhaps maybe we'll uh live stream that uh i maybe maybe we'll use uh your son's uh, magic eight ball which he was so keen to show yeah. me uh, well he also had the, i mean speaking of which he has a he had a wheel of shows for years that we would put all his shows into that was an app <laughs> we would roll that's, it that's genius yeah that's great i could use that from time to time so yeah uh leave a review if you've already left a review you can send a picture of that it doesn't have to be a new one although we appreciate that podcast at progresscityusa.com and of course you can also reach us at podcast at progresscityusa.com for any of your other needs 
We're always happy to hear from you. And if you want to join in further on the fun, head to patreon.com slash progress city USA to join our backer society. You'll gain early access to episodes, get a packet of progress city swag, be able to join our private discord chat rooms, which are a lot of fun and much more, including our monthly backer live streams. Jeff, these live streams are a hoot. Love the live streams. Uh, and of course, when you join, you get access to all our live streams. So imagine the slideshows, imagine the videos, imagine the conversation. You can just spend hours and hours with us for a low monthly fee. Yes, it's gotten to the point where you can like literally spend actual days with with us if you so choose by going back to find these videos yeah our wonderful parents make an appearance on one and Asano's on one I mean it's great come on live stream absolutely we need to you know we need to rope more people into these live streams that, that could rope be a goal for the new year come on yeah bring more people we've had Brian P. Miles on he was great he was great we we could, yeah we gotta draw we gotta ah, draft people live stream sort of live stream yeah great let's so, do it all right. Well, again, you can join up at patreon.com slash USA. All your donations are tax deductible. And Jeff brings us to an end of another year. Any final thoughts? Uh, more in 24. Uh, <laughs> stay alive on 535. Uh, Spirit of 76. And uh, But no, uh, we are very appreciative to all who listen. If you've listened to the end of this episode at all, as always, I'm appreciative of that. Completists, unite. Yeah, bless but, you. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. I cannot wait to... Yeah, there's, a, there's an episode we're going to do soon I can't wait to talk about. But, you know... Yeah, just stay tuned. More always. in 24. Yes! More in 24. That's like a Shelby headline news, Michael. <laughs> which is really the the ultimate aspiration for us both. Well, so thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. However you spend it, however you celebrate, we hope you have a great time and we'll see you in 